Welcome to this week's podcast from Gathering Place Church. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit our website at gatheringplacechurch.com. We were able to uh, bless right around 80 families uh, through our coat drive. So can we just thank God for uh, Charles and Kaylin. Thank you for putting that together and all the volunteers uh, that came out. We were uh, able not just to bless families with uh, a coat and maybe a pair of gloves, but people were walking away with bags full uh, of clothes to be a blessing. Uh, We also want to celebrate Britt and Nadia's uh, friend, Amber, who's here. Uh, she uh, received Christ for the first time last week, so we celebrate with you, and we're thankful for the work that's going to begin in your life, and I pray that Christmas takes on um, a whole new uh, perspective for you as Christ has come into your life just as he has come into the world. So Amber, we are excited for you, uh, your two babies, and all your loved ones, and we believe God's going to continue to do an amazing work in your life. And that's what we do, what we do, so that people can have an encounter with God. So you ready to encounter God? You ready to encounter Christ this morning? Well, God's been uh, just stirring uh, a word in me, and I pray this morning as the word of God comes forth uh, that your affections for him grow deeper, uh, that your love for him grows deeper, and that you welcome all that Christ gives us in this season and in this time. This morning, uh, what we're going to be talking about uh, is a message that God has just had on my heart, and I've been praying when uh, the right time to preach it is, and uh, no better time than what the spirit of this message has to say uh, this morning, and I believe is going to encourage you, that you're going to see what is given to you, what Jesus has done, because he is the one who we celebrate, and we don't want to be a people, a church that doesn't have room to welcome all he is into our lives. I want you to look at a passage of scripture this morning, and then I want to preach from it. And I want to preach from a popular story that we know, but when I was studying and reading this, I never connected it that it came, it was the scripture directly after. And so I pray that this is just maybe a new perspective of how you look at this and really the context of what it was ministered in. But look at John chapter 8, verse 12. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. We also want to welcome everyone uh, watching live online. We're happy that you're here this morning tuning in. Believe God can minister to you wherever you're at. Look at John uh, chapter 8, verse 12. It says this. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I love it. This morning, I want to preach from the subject and the topic, light and life. This Christmas season, I want you to get in your spirit that you have light and that you have life that is given to you because Jesus, born of a virgin birth, and what the prophecies foretold, that you now have offered to you light and you have life. And I believe this is one of the most inspirational I am statements that we read in the Gospels, that we read uh, Jesus say, because he is a light to the darkness in our life. He is a light to the blind spots. To tie this in uh, with the spirit of Christmas, Isaiah 9-2, which foretells the coming of Jesus, says this. It says, the people walking in darkness have now seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. I pray this morning that a light dawns upon you, that you take a moment to step back, to reflect, 
to look deep within you and allow the light of Jesus to shine upon your soul and to shine upon you. As I said, this scripture is read directly after, uh, I believe, one of the most grace-filled stories we read in the Bible, where we see Jesus do an amazing miracle. He saves and he rescues a woman's life. Before we read it and get into it and pull out, I believe, truth that is going to just bless you and, and minister to you this morning, I want you to actually watch it. It's a scene from the Passion of the Christ. Let's check this out, and then we'll preach from it. woman that we read, the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. And we see following verse 11, where the story comes to a conclusion, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He was in the middle of a group of, of people teaching during the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus says that powerful statement that we just read in John 8, 12. He says, I am the light of the world. Those that follow me will not walk in darkness, but will have light and life. What we're going to read here is we're going to see a woman who encountered light and who encountered life firsthand. And when you follow Jesus, you have the same encounter. You have the same Jesus who bends down, who picks up your head and says light and life is available and is offered to you this morning. So let's pick up. If you have your Bibles, stay right there in John chapter 8, verse 2. We see the story come to life. Here's what it says. Jesus says, now early in the morning, he came, Jesus, into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. Verse 3 says, then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus 
stooped down and he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Our first point this morning and what I want to teach to you, what we see revealed in the story, is I want to look at three L's. I want to look at law. I want to look at what the love, love does. I'm going to look at what light does. So first is, if you're taking notes, is the law reveals our guilt. What we see take place here is the Pharisees could not stand Jesus. They couldn't stand his teaching. They did not believe the claims that he was Messiah. And so they plotted, as you read through scripture, the Pharisees plotted time and time again, if we have to stump him, we have to get him, because he preaches grace and mercy, but he also lives by the law. So now let's devise a plan. Let's get him to crack on grace and crack on mercy, because this is what the law says should be done to her. And so we see as we look in the text, we see that the Pharisees don't even care about the woman. Their goal was not what this woman just went through. That it says she was caught in the very act, drug out in the middle of the temple where Jesus is teaching. You saw her pictured with clothes, but most likely if she was able to grab a bed linen or something, but she was most likely thrown out naked in the middle to be judged for being caught in the act of adultery. So you see the heart of the Pharisee isn't anything, any love, compassion, grace, or mercy for the woman. It was to get Jesus to test him, to get him to crack. And what I want us to see this morning is I want us to see that we walk in light and life and that, yes, the law reveals guilt. And what we have to understand about this passage, too, is the Pharisees were 100% right. They caught her in the act. Now by the law, this is what is due to her. Look at what the Old Testament says in Leviticus 20.10. It says very plain and clear, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife and the wife of his neighbor, neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. So this is what the law uh, uh, beckoned to happen. This is what would happen if they were caught in the act of adultery. Now, if you look at some of the details here, it's amazing that they don't bring the man and throw him out. They bring the woman. A lot of uh, commentary will say they did that because maybe Jesus would have more compassion on her because she's a woman, so maybe he would crack even more and we could get him, that he wasn't going to live by what the law had said. And so we see here that what the law states and what it says and that she was to be stoned and killed, but it says what happened. Jesus, he said, Jesus is just so cool here. He doesn't even hear what the Pharisees are saying. Did you catch what it said? He said he, didn't even, he wasn't even paying attention and he begins to bend down and he begins to write something in the dirt. And what's pretty neat about this passage of scripture as you study it is this is really the only place we see Jesus write anything in the New Testament. You never see it recorded where he physically writes anything. So this is the place where Jesus actually writes something. Now in a minute we'll look at it. It doesn't say what he writes, but commentary and theologians will, will say this is most likely what he began to write in the sand as he bent down to begin to offer grace where the law demands death. Look what James 2.10 says, and this is where you and I begin to see ourselves as this adulterous woman, as one that is breaking the law of God. James 2.10 says, for whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So we know in our humanity and our flesh, we cannot live up to the law. We can't. We're broken. We'll fail. 
We won't please God. Therefore, there's this distance, there's this gap between us and God. And so we see that the law reveals our guilt. The law reveals shame. The law brings us to a place where a decision has to be made. Looking in deeper to the story, and I want to be interactive with you because we have to come to this place of understanding that we need a Savior, that we are broken, that we are sinners, and that we need somebody to rescue us. I'm going to interact with you a little bit, and you can raise your hand as I'm going to be raising my hand because I fall in these categories. Let me just ask you this. Let's start off. Has anyone ever told a lie before? All right. little white lie. You lied on the way here. Okay. Raise your hand. You can put it down. How about this? Anybody ever used God's name in vain, said inappropriate words? Okay. You've said, oh my, you've went there. How about, have you ever thought lustfully about another person at some point in your life? If you didn't raise your hand, let's go back to rule number one. You just told a lie. So therefore, you've raised your hand at some point, okay? And so if we fall under one of those categories, what we have to see here is if you've told a lie, you are now a liar. If If you've taken God's name in vain, you would be what Scripture says, a blasphemer. And that's scary in and of itself. If you ever thought lustfully about another person, you would have committed adultery in, in your mind of what Jesus talks about. And so right there, all of us have broken the law at some point in our lives, okay? So what we need to come to the realization and what the law will bring us to, it'll bring your sin right in front of you, making you feel the weight of the act or the thought or the intention that that's just taken place. But see, many times in our lives, we stay right there. We never continue on into grace or understand what is now offered to us because Christ has now shown up on the scene. And this is the main point I want to get through to us this morning. And Kenny, you can put it up. It says this. It says, until you realize you are a sinner, you will never realize your overwhelming need for a savior. Until you come to this realization that I'm a sinner, I'll never realize my overwhelming need for a savior. I believe you're here this morning because you have a heart for God. You have a passion for God. You know that you need a savior, that you need someone to rescue you, that you can't save yourself, that you are not God, but he is, and you need a savior to rescue you from your sin. Continuing on in the story, we see in John 8, verse 7, as Jesus begins to write in the dirt, says this, He says, so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. You can imagine the Pharisees have a stone and they're ready to, you know, deck her in the head. Now think if you're the woman, she's probably praying that, man, I pray someone gets, hits me right in the head where I get knocked down. I don't feel any of this pain. And not only that, but the shame and the humiliation that she's dealing with her life is on the line here goes on to say in verse 8, and again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. He said, then those who heard it, here's what's amazing when grace comes on in the scene, and we see a picture of the Spirit of God in our convictions. He said, then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience, they begin to walk out and walk away one by one. And here's an, an awesome detail, beginning with the oldest, even to the last or to the youngest, another translation says. And it says, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up 
and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, and hear this because he says this, says this to you this morning. Woman, where are those that accuse you? Has no one condemned you? Verse 10, and when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are your accusers? Verse 11, she said, no one, Lord, no accusers. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. A beautiful passage of scripture of what Jesus says to you and I this morning. Now, as it says, as Jesus stooped down in the dirt and began to write, what commentary will tell us of what he began to write that was so poignant and powerful and how it communicated directly to the Pharisee, what it will tell us is that he began to write the sins of the Pharisee. And it even other commentary even goes as deep to say that begins to even write those that were in an adulterous affair that nobody knew about. So he, Jesus begins to say, hey, this is the sin of you. Now, ye without sin, you cast the first stone. And what did it say? It said, the oldest began to drop the stones. And there's something about that, that uh, kind of the different temperaments between old and young. And if you're older, especially serving God, you know you've made some mistakes in life and that your need for a savior, your temperament should kind of be mellowed out where there should be more of this realization, life is short. Life is, is, there's this different perspective you begin to have. And that's what's great about us young people. Get a mentor, someone who's walked through something in life to get some good, right and healthy perspective of what life is about. And so we see it says that the oldest drop the stones and they walk away first. And then it goes from the oldest to the youngest. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage of scripture. And this is what this reveals to us. Our second point, if you're taking notes, is love reveals God's grace. So right here we see God's grace revealed. And it should get you excited because this is the place that we live in. But not live here, we begin to walk in what we're going to see what other translations will say when Jesus says, go and sin no more, he, it says there's that word now that's put right there that says, now go and sin no more. And I can remember hearing this Todd or what was always in my head is when Jesus says, now go and sin no more, we kind of have this, this little backhand that Jesus is doing. Like, okay, I, I saved you. I got you out of this. Now go and sin no more. That's not the tone Jesus is saying here. He's saying, now go and sin no more. There is life and life abundantly. I am now your good shepherd. I am going to walk with you, and you can walk a life that is not in bondage to sin, not in bondage to adultery, not in bondage to sexual sin. You can have life and have abundantly. Now go and sin no more. Walk in the destiny and the future that I have for you. This is the commission that God, that Jesus is giving this woman, and grace has rescued her and saved her. And as I was praying this morning, and praying last night, I feel there's some of you this morning, you need to hear this because there's things in your past, there's condemnation, there's shame, there's guilt, there's past mistakes that haunt you, that keep you bound, and that you haven't been able to fully and truly be healed of and walk out of. Look what Romans 8.1 says, and this is for you this morning. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is a promise given to you because of grace. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, the Pharisee, what it, the Pharisee loves to do or what the law loves to do is constantly point 
out the speck and point out the sin in everyone else and what everyone else is doing wrong. But what grace does is it brings you in and it says, I, I, I love you because I understand I am loved by him and the light has reflected from him onto me. Because see, light and life isn't an idea. It's not just something we celebrate uh, in December. Light and life is a person and that person is Jesus and that grace is a person and grace is Jesus. And what grace says, it, it says that perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love covers a multitude of sins. And so when we begin to understand this reality and don't stop when the law reveals the sin in our life, but that's the light shining on it and exposing it because light has a way of exposing things, right? When light shines on something, it exposes it, whether we want to see it or not. And what's amazing about when things are exposed, whether we feel like we're still stumbling and, oh my gosh, I can't walk through this or I keep trying. Here's the thing. When you're walking toward grace, you are constantly falling forward. You are not falling backwards. You are struggling toward Christ. And that's the place we find ourselves in. No one here is perfect. We can't walk in perfect. He is perfect. But guess what? As we struggle, as we progress... You see the grace of God backing you and moving you. And you might still be falling, but you're not falling back. You are falling forward. It says even a righteous man falls down seven times. But what defines a righteous man is he gets back up. He doesn't stay bound by the law and the guilt and shame and stay depressed and addicted and defeated. But he understands that grace lays out a path to hope. And this is where we see our third point is that the light reveals our hope. That the woman now had a, a vision for her life in Christ Jesus. That she wasn't just forgiven and rescued, but now there is light for her life. I love this as well. Is, is light is not the absence of darkness, but darkness is the absence of light. When you're walking in light and when you're shining light and when you get a vision or maybe God puts a heart in you to reach out to someone in your world, what you'll begin to find is he begins to send you into dark places to yes. therefore be a light. Yes. The Bible even says in the Gospels, it says that you are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. I believe as believers and as Christians in 2018, we have got to allow our light to shine. The world needs it. It's confused. We have to show Jesus to the world and that Jesus is the light and he is the life. John 12, 46 speaks of this as well. Jesus says, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. When you have the light, you have hope. You don't have to live in darkness anymore. I love what scripture says when you read the uh, creation account. What do we see? One of the uh, first words that God breathes, he says, uh, he breathes light. He says, let there be light. And he says, then he saw that it was good. What's amazing is, is you kind of peel apart the study of light as light just isn't physical light in that moment that was created, but it was the heavenlies. It was the angelic beings. It was anything that represented the spiritual realm was created and breathed when God said, let there be light. And so what we see here and what it prefaced it beforehand, before God said, let there be light, it said that uh, the world was formless, it was void, and it was dark. Now, I want to pose this to you, and as I look at my life of dark seasons, of when 
Christ is not at the center of my life. My world seems very formless. It seems very dark, and it seems very void. That's the place the enemy wants to get you. And just as the Pharisee accused the woman, Scripture reveals that our spiritual enemy is an accuser. And he will accuse you and get you out and away from God to get your life formless, void, and dark. So when we celebrate Christmas and we celebrate Christ's coming, it's a celebration that what was formless now has form, what was void now is full, and what was dark now there is light. That's what we celebrate this time of year. And so light is what Christ is all about. I wrote this down, that stumbling through life in the dark is a self-inflicted reality, especially since it is wholly unnecessary because the light has come and he has not been hard to find as much as we haven't been looking. The light is there. It's just, are you looking for it? Are you pursuing it? Are you going after it? Or are you comfortable in it being dark around you? You know, there's a difference in being childlike and being childish. Christ says childlike faith, that that's where we want to be, that how you see a child respond. Because children have this way of, they really, especially young kids, they can't differentiate between what they say and what they do. What they think, they're just naturally going to do. Now, as we grow and as we grow up, what we begin to do is we begin to say, I'm thinking one way, but I'm going to do something completely different. We've been gifted that gift to reason. But what happens as we grow in maturity and as we grow in the light, what the enemy wants to do is to rob your ability to wonder, to have imagination, to dream. He wants to numb you out where you don't believe God for anything anymore. You don't believe him for a miracle. You don't believe your family can be healed and changed. The enemy wants to so numb you and keep you in darkness and rob your childlike faith wants to rob your innocence in God, wants to rob your ability to believe. And so what we see connected to this passage of Scripture, that was, that was fine, I like that, that was good. What we see connected to this passage of Scripture, I talk with my hands a lot, if you can't tell, uh, is in Ephesians 5, 8 through 19. We see a very practical passage of Scripture that says this is how we are to walk as children of light. I want to read this to you. Here's what it says. It says, walk as children of light and try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Anybody want to learn what is pleasing to God? The light reveals it. It says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shame to even speak of things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it is said, awake. Everybody say, awake. Awake. Oh, sleeper. This is what needs to happen in our lives on a consistent basis is that we are awake to what is happening, what is going on, our reality, what God is doing. It says, awake, oh, sleeper, and arise from the dead. Now, you can imagine this is even what Christ said to the woman. Wake up and now go. You are forgiven. Now live the life that I've given to you. It says, and Christ shall give you the light. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making most of the time because the days are evil. This is a prophetic word for us. This word is prophetic to us that the days are evil. We must use wisdom in how we walk. It says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. And so we see three things here. We see the power of walking. We see the power of being awake. And we see the power of being filled. And so if we're to walk as children of light, we're to first off walk. And I wrote this down as I was studying this. It says this. It says, we cannot separate what we believe in our heads from what we do with our hands. See, the light just isn't some nice theory. Christ isn't some nice teacher or some nice words we read this time of year. But literally, it is a way of life. It is a kingdom that we are now operating in and that we are a part of. And the the first thing the enemy will always do is to cut your feet and to get you tripped up so you will stop walking. And so if we're to walk as children of light, it's the idea. It's simple, but it's continuing to walk no matter what. Second is what? It's to be awake. It says, awake, O sleeper. Get up out of your slothfulness. Get up and get in your word. Get up and pray. Get up and talk and communicate. Get up and get to church. Get up out of your sleep and get to where the light's at. I don't know about you, but parents, uh, I learned this the hard way. We didn't get any night lights for baby Daniel, okay? So this guy loves to sleep in the dark, as most babies do. And uh, we completely darked out Daniel's room, okay? And so the hallway's dark. He's up every couple hours uh, in the first month. And uh, I, as the awesome husband allowing Bree to sleep, choose to get up and go and get Daniel back to sleep, right? So everything's dark. You know, we've lived in this house for about a year and a couple months, so I should know the route. I mean, it's a hallway, and you make a left, and you go into the room. If you were to watch me, you would think that I have never walked in this house before. I'm knocking my head on the door. I'm stubbing my toe. I'm stepping on a toy, Gibson's toy, our dog. It's nuts. And so there's this thing where we think that, okay, I'm good. I, I, I know the path. But see, when it's dark, it completely changes everything. See, you can have an idea or a time where you encounter God way back here and had an encounter with the light, and you have this feeling in the sense, okay, I'm happy, I'm good, God made me feel good in this moment. It's an emotion-based thing I had. But then guess what? That begins to die off. You're not walking in the light anymore. And so you're walking the same path, the same route, but you're walking in darkness and you don't even realize it. And you're stubbing your toe, you're messed up, you can't find your way. And so it's the sense of being awake and walking in the light. Third is being filled. And if you study this out, it's this idea of constantly being filled. It's this continuation of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And Bray, as you come, I want to read this to you, and it's, it's powerful. It's a prayer of uh, illumination, that our hearts would be illuminated to the light. Because, see, that's what Christ does is he illuminates every part of our life, and he gives us his word. Bree read to us in between songs, John chapter 1, which talks about, and the word was made flesh, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That is Christ is the word. It says that he is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path so that you don't have to walk in darkness. And I, again, I want you to get this in your spirit, is that you have a promise of light and you have a promise of life. So I want you to think, what are areas in my life that I'm walking in darkness? Because you don't have to. Maybe it's blind spots that you don't even know are there. What happens is when you begin to pray, 
Christ illuminates and exposes things in your life that you didn't even know. But see, what we have to do is to be able to keep walking and trusting God that, okay, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to face this. But this is to penetrate darkness in my life and to save my soul, to save my family, to heal my life. I want you to close your eyes for a minute. I want you to hear this this early church prayer of illumination is what it's called. I want you to just allow this to speak into your soul. Here's what it says. It says, illuminate our hearts, O master, who loves mankind with the pure light, because Christ's light is pure, with the pure light of thy divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our mind and the understanding of the gospel teachings. I love this word here. It says, implant also in us the fear of thy blessed commandments, that trampling down all carnal desires, we may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as are well-pleasing unto thee. For thou art the illumination of our souls and of our bodies. O Christ our God, and unto thee we ascribe all glory together with thy Father, who is from everlasting and thine all-holy good and life-creating spirit, now and ever and unto the ages of ages. Amen. That's my prayer for you this morning, is that Christ would illuminate himself to you. You would hear his voice that you would pursue in and make sure that you have a relationship with him. You're communicating with him. This is uh, some great English I want to get to you, Kenny, if you would put it up. This is the ABCs of law and grace. I want to share this with you, and then I want us to take a moment and just worship and allow this just to really sink into us. If you have a hard time seeing it, I want to share this with you. But this goes through what the law does but what Christ came to do through grace and what is given to us as we celebrate him this Christmas. Here's what it says. It says, the law of Moses says we are accused of sin, but grace says that we, he has answered our sin. The law says it has bound us, but grace has bestowed us. The law condemns us, but grace has cured us. Law says death, but grace says deliverance. The law says evicted from God, but grace says elevated to God. Anybody getting excited that this is what we celebrate and what he has done for us? Law says framed, grace says freed. Law says gap revealed, grace says gift revealed. Law says hell is very real. Heaven says, or grace says heaven is very sure. The law says impossible, grace says Emmanuel. The law says judgment, grace says justification. Law says killed, grace says kinsman, redeemer. The law says letter, grace says letter of love. Law says method, grace says Messiah. Law says never saves, grace says never fails. The law obligates us, but grace opens the door for us. The law is past tense, but grace is perfect tense. The law is quaking in fear, but grace, somebody say amen, it quells my fear. The law restricts, grace releases. Law is stone tablets, grace is a sanctified heart. The law is the terror of God, but grace is the tenderness of God. The law is universal sin, but grace is universal salvation. The law is vanity of vanities, grace is victory of victories. The law is washed by sacrifices, grace is washed by Savior. 
The law says extravagant laws. Grace says extravagant love. Law says yesterday's way. Grace says yes and amen. Last but not least, law says zealous for rituals, but grace says I am zealous for God. Can we put our hands together and thank God for grace, for hope? This is what he's given us. And this is what we celebrate. And every time you look at the cross, that's the list that you should begin to see every time. And when you do, it brings this realization that I need a savior. That if by the law, this is what is due to me and this is the price I've paid. But see, Jesus didn't just erase our sins and zap them and send them away. The Bible is very clear that he redeemed them, which is very different, that he paid a price for them. Think of it this way. Imagine you go into a crazy amount of debt this Christmas season, $50,000 in debt because you just love your kids that much. And you know there is no way that you're going to be able to repay that debt. Interest is racked up on it. And someone comes to you and says, I want to completely pay off that debt. Yes, you are going to be excited. You are going to scream and jump and shout that someone is willing to pay off that debt. But see, what you have to see is look at the person who's paying the debt. That person, they had to work a second job through their blood, sweat, and tears, making pennies, throwing things away. And they're going to take all of that and now choose to pay your debt. See, it's much different than just saying it's erased, but there was a price attached to your debt being paid. And when you realize, oh my gosh, he worked a second job for several years and did all of this to pay off my silly, stupid debt. You're going to be so thankful that that person who is Jesus, who not only just worked hard for you, but he gave his very life. He spilled his blood when he hung on the cross and his side was pierced. There was no fluids left within him. Nothing else he could give. And that's what he gave to you. And that's what grace gives us. And that's what the light reveals. And that is our hope that we walk in, that we have a God who calls himself Emmanuel, which is God with us. He is with us this morning. So I want you to stand to your feet. I want this to become personal to you. How you receive this grace is first you have to admit. See, salvation is an everyday process where we say, Holy Spirit, I admit the sin in my life. I admit where I've missed the mark. And now as you admit it, guess what begins to happen? Hope and grace comes into your life. And then as hope and grace comes into your life, you begin walking in the light again. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you've done. I don't know where you find yourself. But my prayer is, is that the light of Christ would illuminate right here, right now. And that the light of Christ would shine upon you. And that you would see that there is hope for your life. That there is grace for you. That he writes in the sand and he writes the accuser who wants to chatter in your mind the enemy is the accuser of the brethren he will constantly accuse you of your past he will constantly accuse you that you're not good enough that you can't do it that God can't use you you've messed up too much you need to know this morning is that there is hope for you and that's what we celebrate this Christmas that if you find yourself in the middle that we're not enough unless he comes so, Brie, I want you to sing that over us. I want you to open your voice. Take a, take a moment and lift up your voice and just say, Holy Spirit, come. I need you. You're in this place. Come make a home in my heart. Yes.
because he's not just the God of the world, he is the God of your world, and he wants you to know that for yourself. Let's declare this over our lives this morning. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed. For more messages like this one, check out our website at gatheringplacechurch.com.